praise you, God. Praise you, Jesus. I just want to pray the Lord's Prayer together with you. So if you know this prayer, just pray it with me as we just seek God today together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father, we seek your will and your kingdom. We seek your guidance from your spirit. And Lord, we thank you that all that we need is wrapped up in you. Lord, and that you graciously give all that you are and all that you have to us. So let's just pray. We just, Lord, we receive that. We thank you for it. We bless you for it. We worship you for it, God. For who can compare to the King of kings and Lord of lords? Who can compare to the gift of salvation and eternal life? Nothing, God. There's no name on earth above your name. There's no gift, Lord, that can outweigh the gift that you have given. And we celebrate you and worship you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Just give God praise. I'm really excited just to always worship with everybody and gather together. Uh, We have been going through the book of Deuteronomy. uh, And it is just, it's been really incredible to see God and how he hasn't changed. His character, his desire for his people has always been the same. The thing that has changed in the Old Testament versus the New Testament is his covenant with us, and it's changed our relationship with him. And so as we're reading through Deuteronomy, we want to constantly keep this understanding in mind as we read the scripture that God has not changed the things that he wants, who he is, his character, his attributes. Those are still the same today. And so as we read through the Old Testament, as we read through the law, we get to understand God more fully and understand who he is and how he relates, how we view him, how we can talk to him, how uh, we, we can just praise him in a new way. Uh, and we are about midway through, almost midway through Deuteronomy. We're in chapter 14 now. Uh, and today we uh, have hit the great topic of tithing. The most sore subject in church today. We're going to have fun with this today. I, uh, it's great. We're full today. We're more full than we usually are. Uh, God is, is, is playing a practical joke on some of you today. You're like, man, the first time I come to church here. <laughs> All right, so we're going to read Deuteronomy 14, 22 uh, to... 29, we're going to get in. It's going to be good today. I'm really, I'm really excited to talk about this. Uh, you can read along with me on the screen. Moses is preaching through the law. He's preaching through its application to the people. 
and uh, you, we can hear what he says starting verse 22 about this subject. You shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year and before the Lord your God in the place that he will choose. To make his name dwell there, you shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, and of your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. And if the way is too long for you, that you are not able to carry the tithe when the Lord your God blesses you, because the place is too far from you, which the Lord your God chooses to set his name there, then you shall turn it into money and bind up the money in your hand, and you shall place that the Lord your God chooses, you shall go to the place the Lord your God chooses and spend the money for whatever you desire, oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink, whatever your appetite craves, and you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice, you and your household. And you shall not neglect the Levite who is within your towns, for he has no portion or inheritance with you. At the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the same year, and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner and the fatherless and the widow who are within your town shall come and eat and be filled that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. All right. So I'm just going to be honest. I have been agonizing over this topic all week. Um, and I was praying last night, and I realized last week, why, why have I been agonizing over this? Um, and there's several reasons, but I think they're all wrapped up in this one thing. I have a fear that at the end of this message or during this message, you're at some point going to think that I want your money. <laughs> That's my fear. Uh, my fear is that uh, there is a filter that you're going to view the message uh, and that there's something that I will say that probably has already been said, just a word a lot of times will trigger something, and you're going to just say, man, this guy wants my money. Uh, and, and that, if that is the case at the end of this message, I'm sorry I have failed you. Uh, the point of this is not, uh, to preach on this is not because I want your money, but the point is I want your heart to be right before God. And that is, that is honestly, that is the point, and where... I want us to end on this. And this is a sore subject. I mean, let's just be honest with each other. Um, there, I think there's two reasons it's a sore subject. One is because we have experienced abuse in the church over and over again when it comes to this topic. Uh, it is, uh, whether you've been part of the church or not part of the church, uh, you don't have to go far to hear about the abuses um, who was it? John Oliver did a segment uh, on this. It's a 20-minute segment on the prosperity gospel and that millions of people have seen that, has, that, that you will have experienced the abuse of this topic even if you've never set foot in a church if you've seen that segment. Uh, and, and so because whenever we talk about this topic, then it, it stirs up feelings because We've been manipulated, we've been taught improperly, we've been cajoled, we've been attacked about this over and over and over. And then the worst of the theology of money is the theology that the world hears about it. And so they already have a bad perspective of the church teaching about this topic. And so that's the first reason this is a sore subject. The second reason this is a sore subject is because money is your idol and you don't want to talk about giving it away. Let's just be honest. We are in the West, 
And we are built on a system, a foundation of greed that says, I want, I want, I want. The, the American dream is the pursuit of my happiness. And I cannot achieve that happiness unless I achieve massive amounts of material possessions and treasure, money. And so we don't like talking about this topic because it is an idol that we worship in our heart. And whenever there is a topic where we have to rip an idol out of our heart, well, guess what? That is not a fun topic to talk about. But this is a cultural idol that we serve in the West. And so it's just generally not fun to talk about. You know, and, and the first thing deeply saddens me, if that's been your experience in church, uh, where if you've experienced the worst of uh, Christianity and the worst of this topic, uh, where it has been used to manipulate um, and, and just really lie about God and expectations of him uh, for us. And I... I and so I tread lightly on this topic because of that. Uh, if it's the second reason, then I'm excited to go idol hunting today, and that's going to be fun. So this passage starts with a command, and the command is this. Moses says, you shall tithe. And so giving to God is something that has been expected of his people from the very beginning of time until now. We see the first instance of somebody giving to God in Cain and Abel. And if we think that idol, uh, uh, it, that, that money is a sore subject only today, uh, and possession is only a sore subject today, it is not. Why? Because if you know the story of Cain and Abel, what happens? Cain murders Abel because of what he gave to God. So the first murder that we see in the Bible is really around this subject, is tied around this subject of money and identity, of possession and material and all these other things that go along with it. Uh, but from then on, we see that this understanding of giving to God is reinforced over and over and over and over again. And the first time it becomes a command in the Bible is through the Mosaic Law. When Moses comes and he lays down the law in Exodus and in Numbers and Leviticus and in Deuteronomy, we see constantly these commands. If you are going to follow the law, if you are going to be covenant, God's covenant people, then what? You shall tithe. So this specific instance that we're talking about tithing is a command under the Mosaic Law in chapter 14 that is reiterating but also adding more nuance to the tithe that we're going to get into. And so the context of what's happening here is this. Uh, they, this is an agrarian society. They farm and they are herders for a living. And so when they talk about tithing, when they talk about giving to God, they are giving of their wealth, of their possession, which... Uh, for us, our work and what we have is tied up. We get a paycheck at the end of the week for the most part. I don't think there's any farmers here, but uh, our work, usually what we're doing is uh, tied up in money. And so for them, it was literally what they produced, whatever animals or uh, crops that they produced. And so when they brought the tithe... Uh, it was incredible, something that happens here in Deuteronomy that we don't see happen uh, before. When they bring the tithe, once a year, there is 
an incredible celebration. Now, if you like to party, then you are serving the right God. Because if you know anything about God and the Old Covenant and the Old Testament, God commands holidays of partying. If you know about the different feasts every year, you know that there was times every year that God had commanded as part of your worship and as part of serving me, you are to have feasts, festivals, and parties. And that is part of how you worship and keep a covenant with me in our relationship. And so what happens here is Moses is saying, when you come and you tithe once a year, you're going to take a portion of that and you are going to party. You are going to have a feast. You are going to buy all the food that you want, all the drinks that you want, and you're going to have a great time. Now, many of us have never heard the tithe talked about in this instance. And unfortunately, it's because when we talk about giving, we're usually not talking about being cheerful in our giving. And what we see is throughout scripture is that giving to God is a celebration. And too often it has become reluctant, it has become forceful, it has become shameful. But as we see here in Deuteronomy and what we see in 2 Corinthians is what? God loves a cheerful giver. Giving is not something that is supposed to be a burden and a weight on us. It is supposed to be something that is sacrificial and something that is joyful. And so what does Moses say here? He says, when you bring it once a year, you're supposed to throw a party. You're supposed to eat and drink and be merry. And then every three years when you bring the tithe, what you need to do is you need to set aside a portion Every year, a portion was set aside for the Levites. They were the tribe that had no inheritance, so they lived off the tithe. But every three years, they were supposed to set a portion for more than the Levite. They were supposed to set a portion for the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. And these were people that could not tithe. They had no portion. They had no land. They had no wealth that was tied to their name. And so... Every three years during the celebration, what was supposed to happen is they would take the people that couldn't tithe, that had no portion to their name, and they would, even though they couldn't bring a tithe, they would come and celebrate as part of the tithe festival. And so this this does something that's really amazing. This does two things. For the one who had, it said this to them. That all that you have comes from God and to give back to him joyfully as a reminder and as a thank you for all that he has provided. So if you are one that has, your tithe comes and it reminds you. It says that the reason why they did this was to fear the Lord, to reverend him. It was a reminder of your relationship with God. That you are to give to him in joy, in celebration, And to thank him because all that you have is provided by him. We have seen that reinforced over and over and over again in Deuteronomy already. That it's not because of their righteousness that God gave them the land, the inheritance, this land flowing with milk and honey. It's because of God's mercy and goodness towards his people, his love for them that he has given them this. And so the tithe is the reminder. 
that we fear the Lord, that we revere him, that all that we have comes from him, and so we give back. The second thing this does is for the one who doesn't have, it reminds them that even though they cannot give a tithe, God is still watching for them, and that their worth is not held by what they give. So their worth is not based on what they can give. See, it's very easy then in this society if everybody is celebrating what they can give to then feel like the outcast if you cannot give. So God says, gather all the people that can't give. Let them celebrate with you because I want to make sure that they understand that their worth is not tied up just with the amount that they can give. That they are worthy. That they, are, that they, they should celebrate from the produce of what God has given to the land. And then the portion of scripture, it ends with this. It ends with a blessing. Moses says, do all this that the Lord may bless you. And this is a general blessing that we see in the Old and in the New Testament that is a call to stewardship. And this is also conventional wisdom that we see constantly. People who worship God and honor God with their treasure, with their money, God will see as being responsible as people who can handle more. And so we see money as not being something that this is for me to gain, for me to be, build my spiritual kingdom, to be greedy with. But this is something that God has given me to manage, to grow his kingdom, to give to the needy, to worship him with. And God sees the stewards, and he blesses them with more. And if you think about blessing, you think, man, that means he will bless me with my yacht and all of my dreams, then I could say that you are not understanding what stewardship and management is. We'll get into that. But this is a great quote that I wanted to read as we really dive into, because I want to I talk about the New Testament. I want to talk about the New Testament understanding of this. Because it is important that we understand the difference between the Mosaic law and the command and the law of grace that we live under now and this idea of giving. And so I read this quote from Stephen J. Cole, and I believe we can get it on the screens so that you can read along with me. And so Stephen J. Cole says this. It's all right. Don't worry. We don't have to put it on the screen. If you're free from bondage to greed and debt, you won't be enslaved to money. If you're a person of integrity and if you're faithful as a manager, not the owner of your money, then when God supplies you with more, you will prayerfully channel anything above personal and family needs into his kingdom. I want to read that again, that last part. When God supplies you with more, you will prayerfully channel anything above personal and family needs into his kingdom. So if you are asking the question, okay, we understand with the Mosaic law, this command to tithe, what does that mean for us? Well, there's some things that we have to understand in this passage that transcend the Mosaic law, and, and that's this, that we are supposed to be cheerful when we give to God. That is something that we see all throughout scripture, that this is a celebration, that this is fun, this is part of us having joy in God is giving to him. 
that we are, this is an act of remembrance, of saying, God, the portion that I have now, I have because of you. And I'm thankful for everything that you've done for me. I'm not, I'm not forgetting, even though I have now, I'm not forgetting where I came from and that without you, I'd have nothing. And so I give back to you as an act of remembrance. That we should not find our identity, our worth, in what we give and what we have. That if we have a little or if we have a lot, that doesn't change the amount that God cherishes and loves us. We see that all throughout scripture. And that being good stewards, is a value that God wants to see in his people with money. That what he gives us, that we become good managers of that. We see these are the principles we see all throughout scripture when it comes to giving. That we see here in the Bible and how Moses preaches to them about giving and what we see in the New Testament. But when it comes to New Testament giving, this is where it becomes fun. I find there's two extremes of this teaching. Uh, and you have probably heard one of them. The first extreme is the Old Covenant view. A few weeks ago, we talked about the differences between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And so a lot of times what happens is Christians get messed up and they read the Old Covenant and they say, well, this is how we still need to live. This, is, this transcends. And so we read commands in the Old Testament and say these are commands for today. And so the extreme on the Old Covenant view says this, blessings and curses of the law are wrapped up in your giving. And so a lot of times you will hear someone read Malachi and where it says, bring all the tithe into the storehouse, test me in this, and you will see the windows of heaven pour, opened over you, and if you don't, you are going to be cursed. And we have heard this said that if you give, God will bless you. If you don't give, God will curse you. And what is that? That is a conditional relationship with God, which is the relationship that the Israelites had with him. This is part of the Old Testament law. So if you are, oh, before I get there, but I, if, you, are you, if you are happy right now, I'd say hold your happiness for a second. If, if, if your greed is taking over and you think, man, I don't have to give anything. I'm not under the Old Covenant law. Let's praise God that we're not under the Old Covenant law. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I'm so happy that we are not. But if, if that little greed idol is whispering in your ear, see? told you, I didn't, you don't have to give, then don't get, don't listen to that greed idol yet. The second view I see around New Testament giving is this very liberal view. It says the Old Testament is abolished. The New Testament doesn't say anything about tithing, doesn't say anything about your money. It doesn't matter. So whatever. Give if you want, don't give if you don't want. It's, it's all personal between you and God. That is also highly distorting of Scripture. And that is also an incredibly bad view of Scripture. Just as much as the Old Covenant law is twisting Scripture in the New Testament and the New Covenant, so does this other view that says money doesn't matter, do what you want, God doesn't care about it because it's not talked about in the New Testament. Sorry. Do you know that 16 of the 38 parables that Jesus speaks about deal with money? 
Do you know that there's more scripture about money than there is about faith and about grace in the Bible? The New Testament certainly deals with this topic and, and deals with this topic in a way that is incredible. If you were here when we talked about the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, there is this one theme that is constantly talked about and this theme of this, that everything that the Old Covenant lacked in, Jesus fulfilled and it became greater in the New Covenant. So only one person can go into the Holy of Holies once a year. Now all people can go into the Holy of Holies. We had a sacrifice that had to constantly be made on behalf of our sins. Now one sacrifice covers all of our sin. Well, the Old Testament, you are commanded to give a tithe. and the New Testament, you are commanded to give all. We see a couple examples of how in the New Testament this is greater. And the rich young ruler, this is a man who comes to Jesus who says, I've followed the whole law. I've done everything. Jesus looks into his heart and he says, there's one thing you lack. He says, what is it? He says, sell all that you have and give it to the poor. The guy realizes at that moment he has an idol of greed. And instead of doing what Jesus tells him, he walks away saddened, not walking into eternal life because his money was his and not God's. We see the story of Zacchaeus, this tax collector, this awful, greedy person who is hated by his people. And he, all Jesus does is he says, I'm going to sit in your house. Zacchaeus receives Jesus, therefore receives the good news. He enters into salvation. Jesus doesn't tell him to do anything with his money. But reaction from Jesus is this. He says, I'm going to give half of everything I have away. And anybody, anybody that I took from that I shouldn't have taken from in the past, I will give them three times as much as what I took from them. See, the gospel, the law of grace made him go way beyond what was expected in the old covenant. So we have to understand this. If you are not giving to God, that there is a part of the gospel of Jesus that you are not understanding. There is something that is not being comprehended in your heart. If you have received the gospel and you have received Jesus, You have received the treasure of the kingdom of God. And if your treasure is not wrapped up in him, then there is something wrong. See, there is something that Paul says, and I, we can't get into everything on this topic. It's just impossible. There is so much on this topic of giving, especially in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 are incredible passages to meditate on if you want to meditate on this on your own. But 2 Corinthians 8, verse 7, Paul says this to the Corinthian church. He says, but as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Paul is speaking to them about giving. And he says something really interesting. 
He says you're, you're excelling in everything. You're maturing in your faith. You're growing in your relationship with God. You're growing in your faith. You're, you're, you're able in your belief of him. You're growing in your speech, your, your ability to talk about him, and your knowledge of him, your theological depth of him. You're, you're growing in your earnestness, your passion for him. All of these things, you're growing in your love for one another, for him. But you're missing out on maturity if you're not growing in this act of grace as well. Just as much as our passion for Christ, our knowledge for Christ, our love for Christ is markers can say, man, I am growing. I am, I, I'm starting to love God more. I'm starting to love his scripture more. I'm starting to love spending time with him. Just as these things are markers of us maturing in our faith with God, Paul says, so is this act of grace. So is growing in your ability to give. Because giving reveals a deep understanding in our heart. Jesus says this, and we've talked about this a few times. He says you can't serve two masters. He doesn't say you can't serve God and the devil because those aren't the, the, the two main things at war for your heart. He says you cannot serve God and money. Because those are the two main things at war for everybody's heart because Money is the biggest false idol in your life. It will say, I can give you joy. It will say, I will give you security. It will say, I will give you happiness. It will say, I, I will take care of all of your needs. All that you want, all that you desire, all that you could need is in me. Whereas God says, no, 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 no. All of that is in me. And so we have these two warring things constantly tempting us. That this money is saying, no, I can be better. I can do more. But here's the thing. What's so incredible about this is that we are not under the law of Moses anymore. There is not a command, but what we are under is the law of grace, freed to give all that we have. And I want to talk about how this plays out. John Wesley has this famous quote. He, he was uh, participated in, in the first great awakening. He was the, uh, him and uh, Charles, uh, George Whitfield started the Methodist church and the movement. And really they created the idea of the small group of home meetings with people. Uh, and John Wesley said this one thing. He said, make all that you can. Save all that you can. Give all that you can. So I want to talk about how this plays out in our everyday life because so many times when we look at our job, we look at what we do and we say, I worked this week 50, 60, 40, 100 hours, whatever it is, I worked this week and I worked really hard and at the end of the week, I got that paycheck that is mine. And we view the tithe, which I think today is a great principle, is a great starting point for us to look at and say, well, this is what God has said, but this isn't the full picture with our covenant right now. We look at that and we say, well, let me get that out of the way. That is God's and the rest is mine. I'll do what I want with it. Then we are not understanding the covenant that we have with God right now. Because the covenant that we have with God right now, yes, he 
allows his Holy Spirit. He lavishes, he gives us everything that we need. Nothing can take away. It is for all people at all times. We don't need to be good to be saved. We are able to come with our junk, with our whatever our sinfulness. We come to God, but God says, I want everything. That means the time that you spent at your job accumulating whatever wealth that you did, when you get that paycheck at the end of the week, that is God's. And so many times in our heart, we treat that as this is mine. And out of my generosity, I'm going to give something to God. I'm going to give him a portion so that I can do what I want with the rest. But really, God says, seek first the kingdom of God. Everything that we have, everything that we do, everything that we are is his. And we are no longer owners of our body, owners of our passion, owner of our future, owners of our money. All of that is God's. We are now just stewards saying, yes, Lord, lead me where you want. And this plays out in incredible ways in our life. You know, something that Heather and I, we have, we have really talked about this a lot in our home and how this affects our home together. And we have realized as we started thinking about this topic how much of a consumer we are. That every week we want to buy more things because we think it will make us happy. We want to make these new additions here in the home and do this so that we can be bored of them in six months. We want to get this new trinket and that new trinket because we, we think that it will satisfy me for a little bit. And we realized that as we started to take these things away from our life and started not to spend our money on things that we thought would provide happiness, thought would provide satisfaction, thought would provide comfort in our life, we actually started to become more satisfied and more joyful in God. And so that made a radical turn for our life that we started to ask ourselves, well, how much do we actually need to live on? How much is it that we need to live on? So we thought about the, the first year we were married. And the first year that we were married, I made a little under $20,000 as a salary. Heather was in college. Uh, we lived in a basement with almost no light in it. And we thought back to that time, we thought, wow, we lived a lot more responsibly with our money when we made $20,000 than we do now. And so we started to ask ourselves some crazy questions. Well, if we could do that then, what could we do now with our spending and our budgeting? And so we have, we have a different circumstance now. We have two kids. We, all the things that come with that. We realize this is what we need to live on, and we pray and we ask God, please at least give us this amount. <laughs> and then anything above that God blesses us with, we are going to give away. This is not ours. Because God provides, he sustains, and he gives of us, and it's his, and he says, you have a roof over your head, you have the necessities. But we realize we are not stewarding our money. We're at a place that principle of tithing was good, but we realized that we could do more than that. 
And that God has freed us to do more than that. And that the American dream, this idol of money, of greed, of wanting more, was keeping us in this consumer mentality that said, man, God, we're finding our satisfaction and our happiness in these other things. And we're giving to you sometimes. And so what's, what's interesting is this. is Jesus, there's this woman uh, and she's giving in the offering bus- bucket, and she gives two mites, which is our equivalent of two pennies. And he stops the crowd, and he says, everybody, do you see this, this woman that gave two mites? He says, she gave more than everybody here. And why was that? Because her sacrifice was great. That was everything that she had. Even though monetarily a lot of other people that day gave much larger sums and quantities. I think what has happened is we have burdened people. I've seen people go into debt because they've been manipulated by the pastor because they had some budget shortfalls or this or that. See, the reason why I said in the beginning that if you walk away thinking Justin wants your money, that I have failed, is because God's going to provide He's going to provide through people in this room. He's going to provide through other people. That's not the reason for this. The reason for this is if if you are not sacrificially giving to God, then it shows that there is a disconnect and maturity in your relationship with him. That's the honest truth. See, God says, Jesus said that where your treasure is, that is where your heart is. If your treasure is not wrapped up in God, then your heart is not wrapped up in him. I'm I'm sorry to make it that black and white, but it is literally that simple. And there are, but we, when we learn from the Old Testament, when we learn from Deuteronomy, there are also people in hard circumstances that can't give. And we don't look at that situation and say, well, we don't want you. We're not going to provide all the services as a church. We provide to people where you can't participate in the celebrations and the good thing God has for us. You have to sit in the back of the sanctuary. You're not going to be as honored. We don't want you leading. We don't want you helping with things. That is where the old covenant law has come into place, where we look at people, we look at how much they give, and we give them places of honor in the church. And James says that is shameful for the church to do. But we look at our own lives and we say, is my heart responding to the gospel? Am I growing in this gift of grace? Is God maturing me in my faith in him? Is he maturing me in my earnestness for him? Is he maturing me in my knowledge of him? Is he maturing me in my love for him? Is he maturing me in my giving to him? And my challenge to us as a church is this. Let's not only be people that enjoy a good Sunday service. Let's not only be people that enjoy being a consumer here on Sundays. Or let's not only be people that compartmentalize God. That say, God, you are good for X, Y, and Z. But do not enter into this area because this is mine. But let's be people that give all that we are to him and say, God, whatever you want, you can have. 
Sometimes God has called me to do ridiculous things that didn't make sense for me financially. And the only thing that I had was, I'm going to do this because you're calling me to do it. And in those moments, even in those, mo- oh, those moments where God has called me to sacrifice, he has always been faithful. I, I've, I can't say that I've gone to that place and then God said, nope, dropping you off here. Goodbye. But so much of our identity and our worth and our time and our energy and our satisfaction and our happiness is wrapped up in our ability to spend in our bank account. And the gospel challenges that deeply and constantly. It says, do you live a life that you are just a mere manager of what you have, a steward to steward well, or do you live a life that says, this is mine, and you're lucky you're getting this part. I want us to hear the full, whole gospel and understanding of what that means for our life to participate as Heather and I have seen in the joy of saying I don't need God you are all that I need don't want more money don't want any of this if, if all that is stripped away if, as Paul says if I have plenty or if I have little doesn't matter because I am content in you I'm content in what you offer. Why don't you, can you stand with me? I want to pray. This is how it plays out. I think if you need a starting point, you know, we ask every leader and member in our church to be someone who tithes. If you need a starting point, that's a great principle to say, okay, I'm going to do this. And, and if you're not at that place yet, then it can be your prayer. God, help me. There's a disconnect. I want to mature in this area. We can't expect to receive Christ and then overnight be a superstar. This was a seven-year process for me and Heather that we went through. And I know God is still growing me and growing her in this as we talk about our needs together. So we're not going to be superstars overnight. We can look at what God has said in the past and say, this is a good principle. If I want to start here, I can. And then I can navigate the waters. What does it look like in my life to do this? What does it look like to live a life of generosity, of management rather than ownership? So let's pray. Father, I pray that you help us realize that everything that we have is yours. Father, if that bothers us, I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict us. That we would realize 
Lord, what we have is not because of our strength. What we have is not because of our wisdom. What we have is not because we are so smart. But what we have is because of you. That you have provided everything. So I pray that we would be people that we would be willing and ready to give everything. In Jesus' name we pray. Nothing else matters.